minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh. 
arrived at your destination. J.M. There we go. J.M. in the A.M. Yeah, that's your radio destination for now and hopefully forever. Uh, Friday morning broadcast on this August 26th, day 22 in the month of Menachem Av, the year 5776, Tafshin Ayin Vav. Friday morning here at JMNAM. Recalculate that's done by the uh, amazing Avremo, Avram Freed. Uh, before that, Aishas Chayel from Simcha Liner. Shlomo Katz had Proke. Shalom Aleichem done by Lenny Solomon off at Shabbat in Liverpool. Yehuda Greens, Birchaz Achodesh, because we will, in fact, be mentioning Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Elul's coming up, as hard as that is to believe. Uh, Eitan Katz with Ali Rishalayim and from Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this August 26th, the 22nd of Menachem Av. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Akev with candle lighting at 717 on this Erev Shabbos. 717, it is getting earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are, but it is in fact getting earlier. And soon everybody will be starting Shabbos at the uh, same time. But right now 717 is the latest one can light candles today. So, uh, well, you know what I mean. Based on candle lighting time. It would be the latest. Anyway, Hobe is getting too complicated. Hobe's Rosh Chodesh Elul this Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Elul will be Shabbos and the following Sunday next week. So Shabbos a week from tomorrow, and then Sunday a week from Sunday will be your two-day Rosh Chodesh Elul as we start to gear up for the brand new year. 76 degrees outside with 85% humidity. Winds to southwest at 6 miles per hour. Partly cloudy, a high temperature of 94 then tonight, clear skies, a low of 72. Tomorrow, sunshine with a high temperature, 89 degrees. Looks like a nice Shabbos day, Baruch Hashem. Yerushalayim is at 83. We're at 76 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. A weekly update coming up just over an hour from now as we discuss the events of the week and go through some of the news items that uh, no doubt have uh, caught your attention. Uh, so we'll do that coming up. Here at JM in the AM. And um, Rabbi Yudin, of course, is going to be joining us plenty more on a Friday as we go through our uh, Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. And um, we thank you very, very much for tuning in and being part of the uh, of our wonderful broadcast, that's for sure. Uh, we'll go to... Um, we'll go to... Uh, where are we heading now? We'll go to uh, David Dardashti next as we continue on a Friday morning broadcast. You are listening to JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Shlaimi Gertner with Kodesh, words from Shabbos Miros. Beautiful song. Maccabees had both Dror Yikra and Aleinu back-to-back. You heard Chazak from Barry Weber. Smachot on by Yaakov Shweki and David Dardashti opened up that set with Adon Olam here on a J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Elul will be Shabbos of next week and then the subsequent Sunday. Shabbos and Sunday will be Rosh Chodesh Elul. Candle lighting at 7.17 on this era of Shabbos. Things are getting earlier. 7.17 is the official candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. Parshas Akev. 40 minutes away from our weekly update as Malcolm Holman will join us and we'll explore some of the issues of this week. Make sure to stay tuned in. You can listen around the world on the NSN app. 76 degrees, partly cloudy, a high of 94. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard to listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app, where you can comment on anything that's happening during this show. Golly Tal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up next. And we're here until 9 a.m. Rabbi Yudin's going to be joining us as well with the Torah portion of the week starting at about 8.15 this morning here at JM and the AM. Golly Tal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from JM and the AM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן שני בירנבוים עם מה שקורה עכשיו. סמוך לעופרה נורא פלסטיני למוות לאחר שכוח צהל חשד בו כי בכוונתו לבצע פיגוע. כתבנו ענבל תמיר. הפלסטיני גבר בן 38 זוהה כשהוא רץ לעבר עמדת שמירה צבאית בכפר סילואד. חיילים שהיו במקום פתחו בנוהל מעצר חשוד ולבסוף ירו בו והרגו אותו. ככל הידוע הוא לא היה חמוש. צה"ל נמסר כי נסיבות המקרה נבדקות והאירוע מתוחקר. ביקורת באופוזיציה על החלטת ראש הממשלה לעכב חלק מעבודות התשתית של רכבת ישראל שתוכננו לשבת כחלק מפתרון המשבר הקואליציוני. יושבת ראש סיעת המחנה הציוני מרב מיכאלי אמרה כי הציבור משלם על מהלכיו הפוליטיים של נתניהו. כרגיל, נתניהו דואג לנתניהו במקום לאזרחיות ולאזרחים במדינת ישראל. ככה נפתר משבר השבת עוד לפני שהוא התחיל. 
נפטר על חשבון הציבור. זה שנים שישראל מאפשרת עבודות שבשבת הפגיעה שלהן בציבור של הנוסעות והנוסעים וכל מי שמשתמש בדרכים היא הרבה יותר פחותה. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י מוסר כי במסגרת פתרון המשבר קבע ראש הממשלה כי תוקם ועדה שתתאם בין משרד התחבורה לבין הסיעות החרדיות. משרד החוץ קורא לחברת התעופה בראסלס איירליינס מבלגיה לחזור בה מהחלטתה שלא להגיש חלווה המיוצרת בשומרון. כתבתנו אילאיל שחר. בהנחיית מנכ"ל משרד החוץ דורי גולד, שגרירויות ישראל בבריסל ובברלין פועלות מול חברת בראסלס איירליינס כדי להביא לביטול מיידי של ההחלטה להפסיק להגיש מוצרי חלווה בטיסות החברה בשל העובדה שהם מיוצרים באזור התעשייה ברקן שבשומרון. משרד החוץ עומד בחזית המאבק בחרם על כל צורותיו ופועל ללא לאות למיגור התופעה, אמר דובר משרד החוץ עמנואל נחשון. האו"ם קורא להרחבת הסיוע החומרי והכלכלי לרצועת עזה. בהודעה שפרסמו 16 סוכנויות של האו"ם נאמר כי ראוי שישראל לא תפריע להעברתם של חומרי בנייה ושל כספים המיועדים לשיקומה של עזה מנזקי מבצע צוק איתן. עוד נכתב בהודעה כי עד כה הועברו רק 40% מהכסף שנתרם לטובת תושבי עזה לאחר המבצע, וכתוצאה מכך 65,000 פלסטינים נותרו ללא קורת גג. בין הגופים החתומים על הפרסום, נציבות זכויות האדם של האו"ם, ארגון הבריאות העולמי, יוניסף, אונסקו וארגון העבודה הבינלאומי. טורקיה מתגברת את כוחותיה בסוריה, כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. צבא טורקיה שלח טנקים נוספים לתוך סוריה כחלק ממבצע שהחל לפני יומיים ומטרתו על פי הטענות באנקרה לטהר את אזור הגבול מכוחות דאעש. ראש ממשלת טורקיה בן עלי דירים אמר היום כי מדינתו תמשיך בפעולה הצבאית בסוריה עד אשר יוכל להבטיח את ביטחון אזרחיו. התחזית מחר תורגש התחממות קלה. בראשון ובשני ירידה מתונה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב בצוות רון רוזנבוים ואלדר נוי.
Inuli shabeyach ladoin, ladoin akol. Olinu, olinu li shabeyach ladoin, ladoin akol. Olinu, olinu li shabeyach ladoin. Ladoy <laughs>
הגן על ארץ ישראל, ביד רמה נצדיע לירושלים. כפל כפל כף נריה עד יבוא גואל, בסוף ירד מקדש מהשמיים. כפל כפל כף חזק נשמור על שערייך, לעולם לא נוותר, לא נוותר עלייך. כפל כפל כף נזעק נצעק Oh, oh, oh. 
J.M. in the A.M. That's Mordechai ben David, of course. Eitz Chaim Heilipa had Kaf al Kaf. You heard Michal Przanski with Aleinu, Barry Weber, and Ba'afilu, that great single. Banim done by Simcha Liner and Baruch Levine opened the hour with Rafua Shalema. 7.38, candle lighting at 7.17 later today. Uh, it's on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Ekev. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Elul will be next Shabbos and Sunday. Next Shabbos and Sunday to two-day. 
Rosh Chodesh El, 76 degrees, partly cloudy, a high of 94. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. We'll do our weekly update in just a couple of minutes. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. Was just reading online about a brand new kosher restaurant under OU supervision at the Museum of Jewish Heritage downtown. Want to wish them good luck. It's called Lox, <laughs> L-O-X. And apparently they have a lot of varieties of Lox. Anyway, they're open uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday until uh, 5.45, and Wednesday they're open late until uh, 8 p.m. Under the uh, OUs, we wish them good luck um, down there at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. Brand new kosher restaurant. Lots of kosher restaurants opening up. Yeah, we should actually get Elon Kornblum on at the beginning of the new season and talk about some of the things that have happened in the world of kosher food. Uh, he knows because he's uh, in charge of great kosher restaurants. Uh, more coming up. It's JM in the AM, and here's Shlomo Katz.
אדון אדון עולם אשר מלך, בטרם כל יציר נברא. לעת לעת נעשה בחצו כל, אזי מלך שמו נקרא, אזי מלך שמו נקרא. ואחרי ככלות ככלות הכל, לבדו ימלוך נורא, לבדו ימלוך נורא. והוא היה, והוא הווה, והוא יהיה, ותתברך, והוא יהיה, ותתברך. אדון אדון עולם אשר מלך, וטרם כל יציר נברא. J.M. and the A.M. Yoel Sharabi with Adon Olam. The Yardside Nigun, done by Shlomo Katz before that. Uh, tonight is my mother's first Yardside. I want to thank those who've been acknowledging that, and uh, anybody who's near the Lower East Side of Manhattan tomorrow, stop by the Mizrahi of the East Side for the Kiddush in her memory and in her honor. And may her memory continue to be a blessing for all of us, uh, Esther Basra Yosef Halevi. 76 degrees, partly cloudy, and a high temperature of 94. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas Akev with candle lighting at 717 on this Erev Shabbos. Obench Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Elul Shabbos and Sunday of next week. And... Um, Uh, Shabbos and Sunday of next week, and uh, yeah, we start getting into the uh, into the season, so to speak, of uh, Elul, and then Slichus, and then uh, uh, the high holidays, please God. J.M. and the end. By the way, weekly update note uh, before we officially kick things off for this week with Malcolm. Uh, next week, Labor Day weekend, there will not be a weekly update presented here at J.M. and the AM. Uh, it will reconvene, please God, two weeks from today right here on a Friday morning broadcast. So keep that in mind. That'll be our first Friday after Labor Day, first Friday, so to speak, of the new season. And uh, we'll talk more about that, obviously, as we get closer. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their amazing readership our incredible live stream at jmnam.org. That's much appreciated. I want to thank our friends at OnlySimplest.com continue to use our amazing content for some of the stories that they post throughout the uh, uh, the web on their site, I should say. Um, uh, many of them really very cool human interest stories, especially of interest to the Jewish world. So we thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. It's good to be with you, as always. I appreciate that. The United Nations and the EU, according to the Jerusalem Post, have actively helped the Palestinian Authority build its global advocacy campaign against the Jewish state, including its filing of, quote, war crimes, complaints about Israel before the International Criminal Court. Over the last year, the U.N. and the E.U. were participants in the creation of a $2.1 million empowerment plan for Palestinian women. There's a lot more details. People could see it at the Jerusalem Post. Now, Malcolm, you've alluded to this, and we've discussed it to an extent over the years, uh, but uh, it, it seems like there's more, I don't know, proof, more concrete evidence coming out about what the U.N. and the E.U. is doing to Israel? I think there is, uh, there is 
the, the pattern of discrimination, and you know we've circulated the petition, a petition to demand an end to the bias and the racism against Israel in the United Nations, which has become almost institutionalized, and it certainly in the Human Rights Council is where they have a separate item for Israel. In the security, in the General Assembly, we have 20 resolutions a year automatically, and virtually every other agency is is impacted. And we saw again this week a, a remarkable demonstration of this when a letter was sent by the United Nations to Israel protesting the arrest of an employee of the United Nations Development Corporation uh, program for uh, diverting funds, but many millions, for from funds that were supposed to go to construction and development for the people in Gaza. Instead, he diverted it to the to the Hamas terrorist entity uh, in various forms, including building a marina from which they were able to do uh, training for uh, underground terrorism, and they have a, a uh, sort of a SEAL unit in Hamas. Yeah, even so, more so, they called it the uh, military wing of Hamas. Yeah, Right. But in, in the letter they wrote, they talked about this man coming from not Beersheba, where he lear- lives, but an old Arab name that uh, that they used, Asabiyah, and no reference to Beersheba. Now, we know the campaign in Jerusalem, which is continuing. We know that they're going to start again in the meeting the General Assembly to pick up on the session of, the, of UNESCO, which was postponed in, in midstream because of the uh, coup in Turkey. The meeting was taking place in Ankara, so they couldn't finish their work, but there, they, they were dealing with Jerusalem and the old city walls, and meaning that beyond just naming the Kotel, Harabayit, Kabarachel, Maratamachpelo, all of these the holiest Jewish sites, by their only by their Arab names in UN documents, adopted as a resolution, uh, an insult to Judaism and to Christianity and to everybody who believes in that tradition. Now we have it here in a UN document. We're now Beersheba, they tried to, to claim as, a, as an Arab city. Huh. And it's, it is a pattern and that we have discerned, and we've tried to talk about it for a long time, as you know, on the show, uh, trying to warn people and to, to sound the alarm. And then people, of course, say, you know, it's depressing, it's a negative, why, uh, you know, the alarm. It is a campaign, because this is delegitimizing Israel. This is what BDS is really about. It isn't the BDS. BDS is a tool of the campaign to deny the legitimacy and the right of Israel to exist. And and we see it manifest in many ways, including this ICC case, which has absolutely no legitimacy. And rather than deal with their internal problems, you know, the, the in the West Bank there's uh, rioting and demonstrations. You don't see many reports about it, but it's going on constantly, but not against Israel. It's against the Palestinian Authority. And some of this has to do with the possible run-up to the elections, which is municipal elections, which are scheduled for uh, October, which will, I do not believe will take place, and we've said this before, but you see, again, they're setting it up in a, in a fight with Fatah because they're afraid they'll lose to Fatah, but they'll set up some sort of a situation which will force them to, to uh, reschedule, postpone the election, which is already seven years overdue. And the, the, um, the conflicts that we see within and the 
fight between Fatah and Hamas trying to position themselves. And what do they deal with? Only with the, the fight against Israel yeah, trying to, to exacerbate uh, the situation. They have no interest in the, in the needs of their people, and this has been blatantly shown by the diversion of the money from World Vision and many other NGOs that this money went to build tunnels and to build infrastructure for, for Fatah's terrorist operation and not the people. It's funny, just as an aside, it's, it's, it's evident that the PA, or at least the PA infrastructure, is still really controlled by that uh, Fatah uh, component. Um, without their uh, desire to move ahead with elections, it's never going to happen, no matter what Hamas, no matter what their role is, right? I mean, that would be... Right, and they're looking, and, and we know that in some of the big cities, the polls indicate that they will lose. Right. And, and it's not unified. People don't have any faith in, in Abbas. You know that it, you know he's old. He doesn't want to negotiate. We see again this week, and how the world falls into the trap where the Palestinians are are in a campaign about the shortage of water. Israel, under the Oslo Accord, was required to give 30 million um, cubic meters of water, and and they actually give them 65 million cubic meters of water a year, and they waste it. They don't do. Um, any kind of reclamation of water, they don't do any kind uh, of uh, clean up afterwards. So all of it is wasted, and the the pipes and everything. And they refuse to sit and talk to Israel about it. And yet the world will accept the the, the charge that Israel is is denying them water, and that they're having all of these problems. The PA has done nothing to help effectuate a more efficient and and. Uh, a better use of water and a more effective use so that everybody would have enough. Go, go back to the U.N. thing for a second, because I'm sure there are people listening to this uh, who, you know, who, who, who follow the news and, and know the trend that the U.N. and the E.U., as we continue to learn, is on when it comes to Israel. Is this reversible? Is, this, is it such an overwhelming effort on their part, and they have the numbers, and they have the money, and they have the international support, that it, no matter how much work we do, and no matter how much we raise our voices, it, it's it's essentially irreversible at this point. Is that is that true? I believe that everything is reversible when you make the effort and, and getting the Western nations to take this more seriously, as well as many other things more seriously, and understand uh, the real dynamics of what's happening, both in regard to this and regard to, to the region overall, that the... The, um, and those who want to sign and, and help circulate this petition to go to the conferenceofpresidents.org website, they can get it there. And, and there we document in the, this uh, petition, uh, we attach documentation about all, all the different uh, aspects. But it, it goes back to the basic uh, lack of, of will and, and, and intention on yeah. the part of the powers to be and how quickly they're willing to fall into the into the trap that Gaza can fire rockets that thank God fell between homes but when Israel responds all of a sudden everybody wakes up and decides that they have to to be uh, critical and to to come down on, on Israel so yes it is a uh, pretty overwhelming when we see the you know all of the stuff we saw the mufti of Jerusalem again Thing. All of Jerusalem belongs to to them, and, and no acknowledgement whatsoever of of the Jewish rights, and that's why I keep telling people why this is so significant. Yeah. This is an attempt to cut us off from any connection by denying our relationship, and and changing names may not seem important to people, but believe me, it's very critical. And it doesn't seem that sending aid to. Uh 
uh, to Italy's earthquake victims or to flood victims in Louisiana from Israel doesn't seem that that makes an international impression the way it should. And how about the fact that young Israeli soldiers are going into Syria regularly to take out wounded children? What does regularly mean? Every day? I don't want to say, but very often, very often, and they have to volunteer for this because it's obviously very dangerous duty, and they go in during the night and rescue uh, children together with a mother or, Inger, or an inj- adult. Injured who, children. Who come then to Israeli hospitals at no cost to them, but big cost to the hospitals. Some are admitted and have to be treated for extensive period because they've lost a limb, they have an eye that's uh, damaged, or many other things. These are serious. And they also have free Syrian army uh, soldiers who were badly wounded who are taken to Israel to be treated. It, it is a remarkable story, and you're talking about thousands, yes, thousands, and during the course of this war. Where's the recognition? Where's the appreciation? People risking their lives to save people who could be their potential enemy, who go back and could turn against them. And yet Israel, in this amazing uh, story, the real story of Israel, treating the people from Gaza, treating uh, Abbas's family and, and um, Munia's family and others, it's... Uh, it's more than frustrating. It's uh, it's astounding. I can't believe <laughs> it's it's amazing to hear that this is what's going on on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, and in the unrest in the Palestinian area where they, they they arrested a suspect and they killed him in police custody. I mean, he was beaten to death. They admitted he was beaten to death. And 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 it, you know, of course, there've been some demonstrations, but they know how to control the demonstrations when they want to. When it's it's something that's not against Israel. But it's, it shows the frustration and the lack of support uh, uh, of Abbas uh, and for the PA has very little authority today, I would say, in much of the, of the region. Yet we, we prop him up, and I understand why. But the... Um, that includes the, PA police and security forces? Mm-hmm. Must be very frustrating for Israel as they try to secure areas. Actually, the cooperation between Israel and, some, and the PA security has not been bad, the, the, because it's in their interest. I mean, right. Israel plays a critical role in, uh, in helping them to be effective. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the uh, NSN app. What was the purpose of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's call to uh, um, Russian President Putin this week? Uh, well, he's, they've been talking and coordinating um, periodically. The I think this uh, was a follow-up to the visits of Sisi, Rouhani, Erdogan, uh, other leaders um, to to uh, Russia. Russia is playing a critical role, as you know. Uh, Russian bombers this week operating out of Tehran, out of Iranian-based uh, Hamadan Air Force Base. And, and I just want people to understand that all the stories you see, don't believe any of it. You know, they said that they were in, then they said they were out, and they said the, uh, the Iranians complained that they were showing off too much. Don't believe which part? I'm just going to come to it, all of it, except what I say. Um, (laughs) No, because it's a confusing story, but it's amazing how it's being manipulated. 
and the reasons for it. There is in the Constitution of Iran, Article, I think, 136, where, where you're not allowed to have foreign presence on their military bases. But there is a particular animosity to Russia that dates back to the Second World War when Russia invaded Iran together with uh, well, Britain at the same time, simultaneously with Britain. One went north, one went south. Uh, and then at the end of the war, it, Britain withdrew, and Russia didn't withdraw. And in fact, the first resolution of condemnation by the new Security Council, the new United Nations, 1946, just formed recently, was against Russia for failing to pull out of Iran. So there's a, a lot of animosity, and there's historic animosities with them. And yet here they have, of course, common interests. They're operating together in, in Syria. They both want to keep Assad in power now. But the, the, the base, which is a critical Air Force base, Russia has been working for a year building the infrastructure there. So there was no way they were going to pull out. The Iranians, because there had been too much publicity, they felt, and because the resentment against Russia, so they said, well, they're only there temporarily, they pulled out. Then Larjani, the Speaker of the, the Majlis, the Parliament, said the day later, they're not pulling out, they're still there. And of course they're there, they're operating out of there, they're going to be there. And they look at the situation in Iran, which is very tenuous. The economic conditions in much of the country are very bad. And the, the uh, you know, Tehran looks good because they got the influx of the money and a third of the economies in the hands of the IRGC and the Supreme Leader. So, you know, the first money's come to them, and I guess the people who work for them are, are largely Tehran-based. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the true situation is different, and Russia is positioning itself for, for whatever might occur there, and also you have an o- election coming up. But the reverse and when we talk about the message that are sent, that the, you know, the IRGC has its own navy. It, it is a parallel military to the Iranian navy and army, etc. But they, they, and they are given the responsibility to patrol the border waters uh, in the Persian Gulf, for instance. And it was Iranian Revolutionary Guard sh- uh, boats that played havoc with the USS Nitsi, which is part of the... USS uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, Group, the career, uh, carrier strike group, uh, Eisenhower's uh, aircraft carrier. So it wasn't and, a, it wasn't officially from Tehran. Uh, so good point. Now, now I'm that, I'm beginning to understand the story better. Right. Because so the Nitsi was operating with a, a guided missile destroyer called the Mason, and they were coming out of the Persian Gulf, and the Nitsi was approached by these Iranian patrol vessels with no warning, and they came within a couple hundred yards. There was a warning, a shot fired. They didn't, didn't affect them in any way. Um, and the, uh, the, the U.S. Um, the carrier strike group is in the region because they're conducting strikes against ISIS in Iraq and Syria uh, from, from there. And then there was another uh, ship in, in the strike group that was harassed in the eastern Mediterranean, but then by a Russian frigate. But there were multiple cases of uh, during this week within a 24-hour period of Iranian Revolutionary Guard um, vessels uh, challenging uh, the U.S. Um, uh, ships on patrol and, and moving in the region. If you remember, it was these same guys who captured the Royal Navy personnel, who captured the American... Um, so where do their orders come from? Are they completely independent? Tehran has no influence on them or what? No, it, it, they, uh, they answered directly to the Supreme Leader and to the to leaders, the generals of, of the RGC, but that is... 
directly controlled by him, not by the government, and, and that's what the pre- military. And that's what prevents the U.S. from parallel. That's what prevents the U.S. from publicly condemning Iran for these things. No, I don't understand why we we uh, don't un- uh, explode when a, when they come within three hundred yards of a destroyer, and they they I mean they could be late. What if they were you know full of bombs? Uh, right. What if it was a of course, <laughs> of course, and um. Uh, and you know that they're they're expanding everywhere. But there's just so many issues in this regard. Iran Revolutionary Guard camps, uh, six of them, been discovered near Kirkuk in 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 northern Iraq, where they have about 1,500 officers and commanders from the Al Quds Force of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and um, and again, it is, they they report directly to the supreme leader. But this is part of their of their takeover. In, uh, in of Iraq, something they publicize and talk about very openly about the dominant position, and something that they're not going to be willing to, to yield. So, if Tehran is resentful, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, about Russia's supposed influence in the region, right? And that's that's likely an accurate statement, right? Is, is there more of a relationship or more uh, of a uh, camaraderie between the IRGC and Russia? It, no, it's not directly RGC. It is on the political level, uh, higher uh, level, and Rouhani's visit to to Moscow uh, because Moscow is trying to interpose itself. So, so they all the absence of the West, and they take advantage of it. But they, they all hate it. Serve the purpose. But all the Iran, everybody in Iran hates it. Then none of them want Russia involved there. The, they resent Russia, but if it serves their purpose, they're very pragmatic. And they will accept it, but not in the public way, in a highly publicized way. They're saying right. you can't, you know, put us in the position where we have to explain to people why we're letting you fly from our air force bases. Uh, a, because it's not the law is supposed to prohibit it, but more importantly, because you know of the attitude towards uh, towards Russia. Okay, so then but, back to, so back to my question. Then Putin reassures Netanyahu about what. So I, I don't know what was specifically in the conversation, but I think it had to do with uh, the question of, of Iran's role, the expansion of Iran's role in Syria, what controls. Uh, there was a meeting today between Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, and Kerry, where they're going to take up the idea of some sort of a peace agreement or some sort of arrangement. Uh, it's very hard to believe that it will actually be enforced, but that's what they're talking about. The losses, you know, that people are sustaining are increasing, and the amount of money that that it takes to to keep this up uh, grows, and the devastation inside Syria is is mind-boggling. Uh, so, the I, I think that the and, and one of the issues, obviously, is coordination because there was an errant fire across the border of Israel. Israel struck back against the the Syrian uh, forces uh, from where, where the errant fire came. But Israel can't allow these things to go unanswered, just like they can't right. let a Hamas attack go unanswered. And then, of course, you know everybody screams about proportionality, but right. they can't allow it to go unanswered. Um, and by the way, it, the strange machinations are not just limited to that. You have the uh, foreign minister of uh, Zarif this week went to Turkey to meet with the foreign minister there. Then he went on a six-country Latin American tour. And, and is expanding Iranian operations, and of course his first stop was Cuba. Oh, that wow. After our opening relations, we see that they are still uh, the closest with uh, with Iran. Not even Venezuela, huh? And, and then he went to Venezuela, <laughs> right? And Bolivia, Ecuador, and Nicaragua are the likely candidates. The only one that was different this time was he went to Chile, 
and uh, Chile was traditionally a, did not want to have an association with them. This is this does represent a uh, uh, somewhat of a change, but there yeah. are all sorts of shifting alliances yeah. that are. Um, that are going on. The, the head of the French National Assembly goes to Iran. The Russian deputy foreign minister and Rainy deputy foreign minister met on Monday. There are a lot of, of things that are happening, but you notice the absence of the West from all of them. Oh, that's for sure. But, but what concerns me as I, as I hear all this is that uh, Israel's got to be really careful because... <laughs> It's possible for somebody like Putin, uh, Russia, to go ahead and try to utilize Israel's fear of Iran, or, or you know, um, um, you know, uh, th- their hesitancy uh, toward dealing with the Iranians to their advantage. I mean, you know, Ru- Russia could somehow convince or connive Israel to become their ally against the Iranians pretty easily. But Israel is an ally against Iran. I understand. With anybody who is but really do they want to be aligned in, with Russia? <laughs> right now you can't tell because it, it, there, there are no clear lines. It's like well, the do they, but the bottom of the Middle East, they've all disappeared. But the bottom line is, do you agree or not that Israel likely does not want to align with Russia in an official um, um, uh, you know, action against Iran? They don't want to be not going to be any action against Iran by, by Russia. Russia's interests are in, in selling them aircraft in in making as much money as they can. Then why does it seem like they're always threatening them militarily? They're not threatening Iran militarily. The U.S. should be threatening a military. Israel does, but it's not with Russia. Israel, and and, it, and they are concerned because it's as the RGC leaders, that is the only country he's afraid of is Israel because he believes they actually will, will, could do it. The, the, but the, it's not going to be an alliance with, with Russia. Russia, right now, its economy is in really uh, bad shape. Without oil, its economy is the size, I think, of Holland. And with oil, I think it's Italy. Yet he is able to maneuver and manipulate, not just there, but in a growing sphere, and to create the footprint of, of uh, Russia. When you see the Putin in with Aliyev and Rouhani in Baku, where, as you know, that all of the former Soviet Union states, the Baltic, Central Asia, fear that Russia wants to reassert at least the umbrella over the region, but certainly to play a more and more critical role. Right. And again, it's because alienation from the West and the uh, absence of the West that, that opens the door for all of this. And now you see even Iran, you know, I will tell you something, that they are planning a railroad to go from Russia through Azerbaijan, Turkey, into, into Iran to go to the Persian Gulf. Now, since the Tsar's days, this was their goal was to get a warm water port. And here we have the plans, and they talked about a north-south corridor, and I spoke to some Iranian dissidents, and they said to me, well, we'll tell you exactly what it is. And they showed me on a a rough outline of a map and showed me how this this railroad will go, which means that Russia will be able to send stuff down to the Persian Gulf, weapons, everything. They will, will, it will open the borders between these countries. And remember, there are 30 million Azeris in Iran. There are two Two, two provinces that are Azeri in, in Iran itself. I know it's all complicated. I'm sure people well, I'm, are I'm, blazing I'm, over. I'm wondering if the West would be more involved and more active in this whole process if they would be, you know, physically... It would be different. Well, yeah. Would they physically go and try to protect the region? Would they physically go and try to... Absolutely. Protect- and we do have, we have bases in, in, in some of these places. I mean, we have bases in, in Bahrain. We have a fifth fleet is based there. We have in in um, in Baku, 
the, we in, in Azerbaijan rather we have vital interest in these places. We 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 put missiles into into some of these backyards, which is part of what ticked off uh, the Russians a few years ago. So we have it's really vital, but but we, we have a disappearing footprint, and the, the Putin is just stepping in, and again he's doing it with limited resources. He doesn't have that much to offer them, certainly not financially. He can sell them weapons. He can upgrade their defense systems and other things. Yeah. But I, he's making money on it. I know you don't like talking about the presidential election for obvious That's reasons. True. But it, it, the, these issues are nowhere. These issues are nowhere. They're, they're not in the press. Uh, they're not even being brought up as issues that are not being brought up. You know, right. it, it's they're, they're they're nowhere on the scene. And the and the problem or the question is. You know, okay, we get to November, but what's going to happen after that? Are we going to have a, you know, a, are we going to have a president that's going to address these things? It's going to, you know, take these things seriously, because you know, co- you talk about Congress, talk about the House and Senate, and now we understand the influence, we understand the importance of every one of those positions and the uh, consensus in Congress, you know, for Israel, uh, against the enemy, et cetera, et cetera. But without the White House support, it becomes an uphill battle. It's more than just an uphill battle, but if you remember the reason, obviously I think the presidential election is very important, but as I said for months, that when you see the news coverage, you see the attention that these critical issues are getting, which is minimal compared to the nature of some, uh, and the potential that these things could have for the future, that people are so obsessed with what he said, she said, accusations against one or, one or the other, and before that, between all of them, you know, the whole array of candidates uh, that were running, and and on the vital issues are being ignored, and they're being ignored by political leaders and others as well. But what we're we're going to face decisions coming up in September, in October, we could have a resolution at the United Nations. Uh, the Palestinians, we believe, are working on one. Certainly, after the election, I think we may see some maneuvering on uh, on Israel at the at the United Nations, and perhaps a resolution of the Security Council, perhaps something else. Um, and and we're working hard all this time to to try and counter it. We're meeting ambassadors. We're meeting, you know, uh, I met Secret, uh, UN Secretary General. We're meeting all the new candidates to be Secretary General this year. This is really important stuff. This will have a long term impact, and people are not paying attention. And they're going to look back on January twentieth and say, "How did all of this happen?" Yeah, and, exactly. And that's why I why I won't talk about the presidential race because, you know, everything is speculative anyway. But I want people to focus on the issues. Yeah. Nobody's fi- like I say. They're not even writing articles about the stuff. That, you know, usually you'll find in an article, especially among the prominent well, newspapers, so to speak, about what's not being spoken about. Brett Stevens has written about some of this in in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, others have in in, in uh, you know isolated cases and yeah, few and far between. Tanks. There are many articles coming out. That are, are uh, uh, addressing uh, these issues. Yesterday, the, the Ayatollah met with his, the cabinet, and he laid out the the agenda that he wants for for Iran. And I haven't seen one article, except in the Iranian newspaper, uh, uh, detailing what he said, where he talks about their expansion into Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times have we talked about that? <laughs> it, sounds, it seems like and, decades. decades and then, uh, but I'll tell you, the funny part is that he said he has one of the items, of the seven items, is culture. But he, and he warns against dogmatic or, or, or suppressive uh, measures in cultural areas. 
and he said he believes strongly in liberalism. <laughs> but that does not mean slackness, he said, or that we give the, uh, um, an opportunity for the room for the enemy to do damage. And then he said social media is, uh, is, a, is progressive mm. and, uh, and, and said that the, it can bring great opportunities but also threats. It's a, here's a guy who crushed the social media, yeah. people, arrest them for <laughs> it, and he's telling the world uh, that social media is important and he's a liberal and uh, uh, etc. I would say you know, the not... Iranians are suing the are going after the the Saudis still on that. Remember the crush at the at the Hajj during mm-hmm. the sure. annual <coughs> Hajj. The pilgrimage. So they've hired now international lawyers because they're not giving up. They're going to do everything they can to undermine Saudi Arabia's mm-hmm. regime to attack them militarily, but also internationally. And uh, they want to see the international community take over the control over the Hajj. They said they can't handle it. 400 Iranians were amongst the more than 1,000 who were killed. But the, the they are unrelenting in, in what they do. On, they don't give up. On the other point, I would say they're not very liberal about their liberalism. Let's put it yeah, that way. Exactly. I mean, this is a farce. Um, but, but it declares <laughs> what, on foreign policy and domestic policy, but nobody even reads it. you got to listen to what they say. Yeah, and believe them, because they mean it. Um, a couple of things before we uh, take our two-week break. Um Nigeria was considering blocking Israel's participation in the West African summit. So, you know, we, I, I, we had this impression, especially after the Entebbe anniversary, that Israel is, you know, is uh, worshipped uh, among the African nations. Is, is Nigeria an exception? Is it... Uh, well, first of all, you were right that, that Israel is much more accepted. I can tell you, I met again this week with an African leader who wants to find a way to come closer to Israel. It's a Muslim country, and they, they are, you know, we're, we're trying to encourage them all to, to establish diplomatic relations, but at least to take the preliminary steps. And we see many are moving in that direction. Nigeria, the, when Goodluck Johnson was the president until recently, uh, he was very pro-Israel, visited Israel several times. His successor, he was a Christian, his successor is a Muslim, who is more hostile, and uh, that that is why Nigeria has mm. been uh, taking this position. Uh, we'll see what what whether it happens. With it's a 15-country coalition, and uh, Netanyahu was talking of coming to to address them after his first visit in Africa uh, a, a month ago. And the Egyptian foreign minister, he's uh, <laughs> he continues to be criticized for his what seems to be positive statements about Israel. The, the guy can't get a break no matter what he says or does. Mean what he said and didn't say and didn't mean to say, but said and, and did he retract it? In fact, did he retract it? No, he didn't retract. <laughs> he said he was misunderstood, but uh-huh. he did say. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, that he said that essentially uh, what Israel's doing in Gaza is not terrorism. Right? Uh, they went crazy about it, and, uh, and I'm sure there was internal disruption, so they tried to cover it, but they did not retract it. And again, it's a sign of the relationship between Egypt and, and Israel. Yeah, which uh, but it has generally been good, and you always talk about the cooperation, at least there. Yeah. It seems to still exist. All right, I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We will reconvene in two weeks, please, God. God willing, we'll have, uh, hopefully we'll have o- only good news well, to be able to re- report. Why would we think otherwise? Because there is a lot of good news in there. Look at all the new discoveries. People should follow it, talk to their kids about it, show them. Uh, finding uh, shuls that are are uh, more than a thousand, almost two thousand years old, uh, 
so many things that have been discovered. I mean, a, a shul that existed during the time of Stella the Beis Hamikdash, and you know, the tefillah, a prayer, a whole thing was totally different then because you had still had the karbonos. So people should should follow this and tell. I mean, the amazing good stories and what I said about Syria, when they really want to know the heart and soul of Israel, that's the true story. Oh, that's 100% true, and it's a big revelation to us that it's happening to the degree that you described. Just unbelievable. Going in and saving Syrian children and mothers to whatever degree Israel is. You're vague about that, but it sounds like it's an extremely impressive operation. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Holmline. We will re- we'll reconvene in two weeks. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, 21 minutes after 8 o'clock, Friday morning broadcast here at JMM. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Akev, uh, with candle lighting time at the 717 on this Erev Shabbos. 717, your official candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos. I mentioned earlier that, um, uh, tonight is my mother's first yard site, and I want to thank those who've been acknowledging that, and we will dedicate, um, Rabbi, and by the way, Rabbi Yudin is live today from Israel, makes it extra special. And uh, we will dedicate his words of Torah this morning. Le'ilu nishmas, Esther bas Reb Yosef Halevi, Esther bas Reb Yosef Halevi. And uh, as we remember, Mrs. Esther Siegel, my dear mother. Uh, this time each and every uh, Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week today. Rabbi Yudin speaks to us from the Holy Land. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning to you. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. For me, it's in the afternoon, 20 minutes after 3, and I can only tell you one thing. The excitement of speaking to you on an Arab Shabbos. What is the idea behind that? I always tell you, back in the States and everywhere else, we have Shabbos. But we don't have the Erev Shabbos. We don't, we don't have the atmosphere and the appreciation of that Shabbos is coming. What can I compare it to? I'll compare it to January 1st, when you'll get up to take your children to Yeshiva, or you'll go out, and there's absolute quiet in the streets. That's the way it is in Israel after 2 o'clock, after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You can feel Shabbos coming. I'll give you another example. The Talmud is always giving rich uh, metaphors. So what is the time to light candles, Hanukkah candles? The Talmud tells us it's the time of when people are no longer walking in the streets. Who were the last ones to leave the streets? In those days, it was the wood uh, sellers, those who sold wood for people to light their fires. When they were gone, no one's on the street. The last ones on the street in Israel on Friday afternoon are the flower vendors, those people selling flowers. It's so special to appreciate the era of Shabbos. I'll begin by, as well, dedicating the Dvar Torah today, Zecher Nishmas, Esther Bas, Rabbi Yosef HaLevi. I remember fondly Mrs. Esther Siegel, and if I can say with pride, I know she was uh, an ardent listener of my Dvar Torah, and I appreciate the friendship that I had with her for many years. Parshas Ekev. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Ekev. According to the Chinuch, there are eight 
mitzvos in the parsha, six positive and two restrictions. Among the six positives, according to the Chinuch, is one, the mitzvah to pray, ososa avo, to pray once a day. He follows the opinion of the Rambam Maimonides, as well as the mitzvah of Perkas HaMazon, the recitation of Grace After Meals, which we'll talk about, please God, in a moment. I want to begin, however, with the end of the parsha. Easy to remember. It's chapter 11, verse 12. Bring the chumash to your table tonight. 11, 12. And what does the Torah say? How special is the land of Israel? Eretz, a land. Asher Hashem Doresh Osa. The land that God cares about. Tamid, constantly. Enei Hashem are the eyes of God upon it. From the beginning of the year, till the end of the year. I want you to know that just as God is watching all the time, I want to tell everybody, come, come and feel safe. Approximately a million visitors come, Kenyirbu, every year to the old city of Yerushalayim. The old city is 1.2 square miles. There are approximately 35,000 residents, of which yet and today only 4,000 are Jewish. But I'm going to tell you the following. There are 600 policemen on foot all the time, and there is a system called Mabat 2000. It's a high-tech observation system with 36 high-tech screens going 24-7, receiving images from 320 closed-circuit TVs at nine entrances of Yerushalayim from the four quarters, and I can, and this is manned by 12 officers 24-7. This has led Bli Ayin Harat to the reduction of terror in the old city, and you should know that this is so effective that police from all over the world come and visit this system to learn from us. I really believe this is another fulfillment of the 611th mitzvah of the Olachto Bidrachov, literally walking in God's ways, that just as his eyes are on Israel all the time, so too are ours. I say to everybody once again, come, come home, and it's safe to come to Eretz Yisrael. Now let's take a peek at the mitzvah of Pirkas HaMazon. I tell you every year how important this is. Your lunch Tomorrow on Shabbos could take an hour, sometimes two hours. And how delicious is the lunch? And I ask you, how long does the Birkas HaMazon take? And is that really delicious, your recitation of the Birkas HaMazon? I'm going to begin with a story. It's a little bit of an ouch of a story because it starts with the following. The Shulchan Aruch tells us in Chapter 1, 84, paragraph 4. Ochal, if a person ate, the eno yodea, and he's not sure, in Beirach Birkas HaMazon, he's not sure, oy, 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 did I recite the Birkas HaMazon? Did I not recite the Birkas HaMazon? Doesn't say very much for his benching. So what is the law? Tzorach Levorech, you have to say it again, misafek, from doubt. Why? Mimnei Shehim Torah, because it's a biblical law, 
and on a doubt, on a biblical law, we go l'chumra, we take the stringent opinion, and you'd have to do it again. Now listen to this story about the Chassam Sofer, now, this great rabbi, every morning, would get up, pray, and then give a shir, a lecture, to his students. And then, after that, he would go into his office, and he would address the correspondence that he received from Jews all over the world who were asking questions of Jewish law, of Jewish philosophy, etc. And, in the middle, or towards the end, he would take a... A uga, a let's say a, a Danish, and that would be his breakfast. That and a cup of tea. Now listen to this. One day, the attendant who was uh, with him and trying to help him, whatever he needed, eyed the Danish and said to himself, "My goodness, the rabbi is so engrossed in his Torah, he'll never miss it." And he went out, took the Danish, and ate it. When he finished his correspondence, the rabbi asked, where's the Danish? The young man panicked, and he said with a straight face, the rabbi must have forgotten, but he ate it. The rabbi didn't blink. He said, I'm not sure if I ate it or not, but I'm sure I did not recite the blessing. We learn from this story what a tzaddik, what a righteous man that when they recite a blessing, they know it. And we have to learn from this as well, to be a lot more careful. Just say it a little slower. Try to understand what you're saying. Because after all, what we're saying is nothing less than thank you to Hashem, A, for the food. And once we're saying thank you to Hashem for the food, listen carefully. The Jew cannot stop there. He's on a roll. He's on a high. Once he's saying thank you, he continues. And he says, thank you, Hashem, the second blessing for the land. Now, what is the land of Israel? You're being a, quote, Zionist. What does the land of Israel have to do with the tuna sandwich that you ate yesterday for lunch or with tonight's dinner that you're going to have? And tonight you must have bread. You can be on a diet all week, but tonight and Shabbos lunch, and even for Shalosh Sudos, the third meal, most preferable to wash and have bread. If you're going to have bread, you have to bench. Once you're having the bread, why are you thanking God for the land of Israel? So I can tell you a delicious Ramban. The Ramban on 11.12, which I cited earlier, and Rashi alludes to this, is telling us a very powerful idea. We think that the sustenance that we have wherever we are, is coming from wherever we are. Namely, America grows so much, and the produce that we have, it's all we. No, no, no. There's blessing that's out there in the world. And God extends his blessing to Eretz Yisrael, to the beloved land of Israel. And once he's sending the blessing there, it goes out to all other places. And that might very well be the reason why we thank Hashem after we've eaten wherever we are in the world for the land of Israel. But it's that appreciation and the recognition that it's a gift. And the more you appreciate a gift, the more the donor is happy to give it to you. And, oy, oy, oy it was just, what? 
a little bit more, it was almost two weeks ago, that we sat down on the floor on a Sunday for Tisha B'Av. And come on, what happened? The Talmud tells us, why did we lose the land? Because we didn't appreciate it. Lo Berchu Batorah Tchila. They studied Torah, but they didn't appreciate Torah. They didn't realize that Torah was nothing less than a gift of God to man, a gift of God to the Jewish people. And that, as well, is included in the second blessing of the Birkas HaMazon. And the more that we appreciate, commensurate with the amount of our appreciation, is His giving it to us. A very powerful idea. The third blessing of the Birkas HaMazon deals with Jerusalem, deals with the Jewish monarchy that we are yet to have. The concept that, if you think about it, in your Birkas HaMazon, find me the word Moshiach. And the answer is that word exactly is not there, but we pray in the third blessing for our Malchus, Literally, we pray for the restoration of kingship from the family of David. And it is going to come, and there's no question about it. But being in Israel certainly helps one feel that the prophecies of redemption, which the prophets have assured us is going to happen, the concept of kibbutz golios, I was privileged that... When I came this past Wednesday afternoon, I landed approximately 5 o'clock. By the time I got out of the airport on the way back to Beit Shemesh, it wasn't time to make it to Beit Shemesh for Mincha. So we pulled off into a little moshav called Nachum. And listen carefully, Nachum. <laughs> listen carefully. Where's the Beit Knesset? And we drove up and we found a little bit Knesset. I would say the size was approximately 40 long, 30 wide, and in it was a gathering of Jews, literally from all over the world. I had to hold back tears, because I felt not just so special, but I felt that I'm in a special place, that this is it. We are living history. And when we recite Birkas HaMazon, don't just say it by heart. Don't just say it glibly. Say, Hashem, thank you for the very special gift that we are privileged to have in our days. Our grandparents could only dream of this. And we have the privilege of nothing less experiencing this firsthand. And therefore, as we recite that third blessing, keep in mind the current destiny. And finally, the fourth bracha, which was instituted by the rabbis, which you'll ask yourself, oh my goodness, what does the burial of the dead of Betar have to do with the challah that we're going to eat tonight? And the answer, my friends, is as follows. A miracle happened. Betar, the city that Bar Kokhba tried to use as in his rebellion against the Romans. Betar fell. Thousands and thousands of Jews were murdered. And their bodies were left for over two years, and they were not buried. And a miracle occurred. 
and these bodies did not decay. And what do the rabbis say? This is to teach us that not only when we have a temple is God watching over us, but He is indeed watching over us all the time, even in our exile. You've got to feel nothing less than six feet tall when and if you recite the Birkas Hamazon properly. And finally, I wish to conclude with one more law. If you go to chapter 183 in the Shulchan Aruch, and it's paragraph 8, it says, can you greet somebody? Your father comes in, your teacher comes in. Are you allowed to greet them while you're in the middle of the Birkas HaMazon? You're in the paragraphs. Baruch HaTo Hashem, Hazon HaKol, could you say shalom to my father, my teacher? And the answer is no, because, says the Shulchan Aruch, it's to be treated just like Shemona Esrei. Keep that in mind. Birkas HaMazon is one of the very few biblical prayer that we have. And therefore, if your phone is vibrating, don't hand it to somebody during your Birkas HaMazon and tell them to answer on your behalf. Don't motion to somebody. Is so-and-so here? Is he not here? Etc. You're going to shake your head one way or the other. Would you do that in the middle of Shmona Esrei? And if the answer hopefully is no, then I do hope and pray that as a result of this Torah, in memory of Mrs. Esther Siegel, that your appreciation and reverence for Birkas HaMazon is going to be enhanced. I pray that, as I wish each and every one of you a sweet and special Shabbos, that we appreciate Eretz Hasher Hashem Doresh Osa, how this land is one that God cares about, and as we began, as he cares about it, so too must we. Shabbat Shalom to all. La la la
That rendition of Yevarechacha here at JM in the AM. Weinreb Brothers had Me'en Alam Haba. You heard Yismachu done by uh, the Waterbury Yeshiva. And uh, Yehuda Green with um, Amisha Asa. Words from the uh, Rosh Chodesh benching as we get ready to uh, commence with uh, Rosh Chodesh Elul next Shabbos. And uh, start getting into the uh, Elul Slichos. High holiday chauffeur, high holiday season, believe it or not. That is hard to believe. It's Arab Shabbos Parshas Akev, candle lighting at 717 on this Arab Shabbos. Again, we'll bench Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh El will be Shabbos and Sunday. I want to remind everybody, as we mentioned yesterday, uh, when Shimon Lefkowitz was with us, uh, that there is a big event going on up in the uh, Catskill region this Shabbos, or I should say rather this coming Sunday. Be aware of it. It is the open house the open house of the Fallsburg Community Mikvah. The Fallsburg Community Mikvah, the open house, takes place uh, this coming Sunday up in Fallsburg, New York. Everybody is invited to see the brand new Mikvah and to really be inspired by the incredible and beautiful building that it is. Uh, men, you're invited 11 until 1. Women starting at 130 at 195 Brickman Road in Fallsburg, New York. 195 Brickman Road in Fallsburg. It's 845-915-1200. 845-915-1200 or fallsburgmikvah.org. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys. The sun is going down. It's shining through
Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course, on the NSN app. Naomi Nachman is next, an encore presentation of Table for Two at 10 a.m. this morning. Kedem and their presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix gets underway, goes all the way until 7.17, until candlelighting time. Make sure to be tuned in. Nine-plus hours presented by our friends at the Kedem Wine Corporation and Royal Wine in honor of Shabbos. Imagine that. Check it out today, starting at 10 a.m. Uh, on your computer and, of course, on the NSN app on your phone. Um, join us and make it part of your Erev Shabbos experience. Have a fabulous Friday, a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.